Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy? or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. And that is what the Clinton impeachment trial is like for me now. It is like a, a painting that has not dried huh. because in some ways that seemed like the height of partisan bickering. And now we are upholding it as a model of a set of rules <laughs> to go forward in a trial. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, everyone. We are here together in person at Wisconsin Lutheran College. We want to thank them for providing a recording space for us while we're here doing several workshops and an event. We want to thank Tim, who's sitting here with us, helping us with our recording and our levels. And we want to thank all of you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. There's plenty going on in the world, but before we get to it, we want to let you know that you can hear our bonus episode this month on patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. If you are at the supporter level, it's a really good conversation. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite episodes that we've done lately. Honestly, we talk about the split in the United Methodist Church and how the way that they have resolved their disagreement in that church tells us a lot about where America is right now. So patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics, become a supporter to hear that conversation. As you have definitely heard by now, the impeachment trial of Donald Trump started, as we're recording this yesterday, on Wednesday with the House managers presenting their side for several hours. They used to have about a third of their time and really started going through the basic facts, many of which we already knew, of course, from the House hearings and laying out in a very strategic manner, the overall case that Trump was trying to cheat. I've noticed they've shifted to that language. He was trying to cheat in this upcoming election. 
and that no one is above the law. And if you break the law, you have to be held responsible. I really like the moment where Representative Jeffries was like, Erdogan doesn't have to obey the law. Mohammed bin Salman doesn't have to obey the law. We're going to get to that in a minute and actually put a pin in that. Um, Kim Jong-un doesn't have to obey the law. But here, everybody obeys the law. I like that part a lot. They've done a really good job making this less about Donald Trump, the human being, and mm-hmm. more about the office of the presidency and what the separation of powers looks like in the United States. Mm-hmm. What are the limits on executive power? Because that is where there's legitimate disagreement. I think everyone is coming to recognize that the facts just are what they are. Yeah. This is not a case that you can argue on the facts. If you are standing and defending the president here, what you are saying is that executive power is much more expansive than the prosecution. And I think that's a more interesting conversation. I also have noted, along with lots of people, this is not a novel observation, that no one is attempting to make this about Donald Trump, the man on the defense side either. Mm. That no one is saying, this is not in his character. He would never do this. He he couldn't have meant it that way. I know him. Right. He's a good guy. And I think that that's, that probably puts us in a more honest place. I've been interested to see how differently Republican senators are talking about this to the press. Because you have people saying, nothing new here, snooze fest, we need to get rid of this quickly. But then you have people like John Kennedy, like not a moderate Republican, coming out and saying, we didn't watch all of the House depositions. We didn't read all those transcripts. Some of us are hearing all these facts for the first time. And we're paying attention. And I feel good about that. Mm Mm-hmm. We also had a, a, I don't know if kerfuffle is strong enough, but we're going to go with kerfuffle for now. Um, Jerry Nadler used some strong language that was swatted Beth Disrelder. I, um, I like it that I can see that. It's really fun. Some really strong language that kind of got swatted down. Strong language was also used by the defense, too. And Chief Justice John Roberts kind of swatted them down. And several senators, including senators we would really like to convince, like Lisa Murkowski, were pretty offended So we had Adam Schiff come out and say, hey, we respect you. We're up here running on adrenaline. You have to sit there and make careful considerations. And we we see you. We respect you, senators, and sort of undo some of the damage Nadler did the day before. Okay, I rolled my eyes because I am not a trial lawyer, but I have done a lot of motion practice in my career. And I have been on teams with someone like Representative Nadler, who's very passionate (laughs) And very confident. You are still on a team like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And occasionally you think, rein it in, friend. You're not helping here. (laughs) And that's that's kind of my – I feel for the other impeachment managers because I do think every time he tends to be the weak link in that group. And honestly, Adam Schiff was just, I don't know, built in a lab for this. He is so incredibly good at it. And I can imagine how frustrating it is that he has to do that cleanup um, mm-hmm. for Nadler. But he's he's doing it, and he's doing it very well. I mean, I saw a, a little clip of Lindsey Graham in the hallway telling Adam Schiff that he did a great job. He's a oh, great wow. speaker. Um, I mean, listen, let me just be the one in the room that feels for Representative Nadler when I feel like there's injustice. It's very difficult for me to rein it in. So um, the light in me recognizes the light in you, Jerry Nadler. Um, but... I do understand that they're that, you know you don't want to make Lisa Murkowski angry as well. So I there's been so much reporting on the amount of time they have to sit quietly in their spaces and look like I know a lot of us are called on to do that every day. I do not have the attention span to do what they're doing. When we went to Evolving Faith, which is also a lot of speaking, like I have to move. I have most certainly have to have coffee. Who invented this? awful rule. They can't even have coffee in the room. I need to be able to check my phone. I need like, I just, this is like Zen level attention that they're asking of these people. And I just, I wanted to send out some empathy to the centers. I still think it is powerful to have them all sitting in the room. When I used to do capital tours, it was always so sad to like bring people and they'd be so excited and you bring them in and there'd be like one person talking to an empty room. And you just think like, how much more impactful would it be if when people went on Capitol tours and you went and you walked in the House of Representatives of the United States Senate, you saw the senators and representatives in there doing their job. So I do think there is something really intense and wonderful and amazing. I just think they should be allowed to have coffee. 
I agree. I think they should always be in their seats when the Senate is in session. And I would amend the rules to allow coffee and Diet Coke. And Mm. someone on Twitter suggested knitting as well. Mm. And I will allow that too. Fidget spinners? Um, Yes, that would be fine. Maybe some adult coloring books. But I understand (laughs) that you need to anchor your brain in some way. At the same time, I think something that Representative Schiff did yesterday was so intelligent in the closing argument. Well, not the closing argument, but the closing of his eight-hour day. Uh which was connect the witnesses in this case to ordinary Americans. Mm. And I think that theme is continuing in some of the commentary that connects the job of the senators to just sit there and listen to the jobs that ordinary Americans have to do. And when Representative Schiff was talking about how you had Dr. Hill and Colonel Venman testifying, but their bosses refusing to do so. Mm. That feels to me very connected to the experience of many of us where we say, well, if I did that, I would go to jail. If I did that, I would be in trouble. There are reports that these witnesses at their own expenses have incurred like half a million dollars in attorney's fees that the State Department is not reimbursing. These people really went out on their own to tell these stories. And That, to me, is a compelling argument to the American public and a very compelling argument for bringing more witnesses in. At the the least, isn't justice going to require Mike Pompeo to pay a lawyer to come in and do this thing with him? Well, and and just the idea, I hope that gets through to ordinary Americans that these weren't people who've just been plotting the whole time and could just pop over and stick it to Donald Trump. Like, they put their careers at risk. They incurred massive amounts of debt to do what they thought was right. That's not something you do— on a partisan whim. That's something you take under careful consideration and really, you know, it's going to change your life. Why would you do that if you just want to undo the results of the election six months before we have another election? Come on, y'all. There are two other things I've been thinking about in terms of broader implications for just these first couple of days of the trial. The first is that I was listening to a report from the Harvey Weinstein trial, which also had opening arguments yesterday. And a reporter was talking about how this is one of the hardest cases to prosecute he's ever seen, because even the prosecution is leading with the fact that so many of the women who were abused, assaulted by Weinstein later sent him really kind Mm -hmm. emails and ask him for jobs and one ask him to meet her mother. And we struggle as human beings with the cognitive dissonance of that. And he was talking about how difficult this case is. And I was thinking about the beyond reasonable doubt standard because the Trump trial briefs argue that senators here have to apply a beyond reasonable doubt standard. Mm. Now, I don't see in their brief, at least, any actual legal support for that. Yeah. It seems to be just what they they want to be the case. But I do think the standard here matters. What is the standard for removal? And if you're listening to this and you have any concern about the executive power issue, I think it's the legal issue, not the factual one that would creep up on that. That interests me. The second thing, as a person who believed in the spirit of DACA, but opposed it being done by executive action, and who frequently has this visceral, oh, stop that, when people running for president say, well, I'll issue an executive order to Mm. do this. I think that the way Republicans are having to approach this trial shows that there are no voices now for limitations on what a president can do. Mm. You have Elizabeth Warren on the campaign trail Kind of daily, it seems, referring to what she would do by executive power, Kamala Harris, before that. Where is the party that is that is going to rein in what a president can do? And to voters, I think if you're concerned like I am about Democrats coming in and doing so much via executive order, we do have at least a judicial backstop against that. I mean, Congress has just abandoned that. Well, that's the thing. I don't think we can depend on we certainly can't depend on the executive branch to rein itself in. I don't really think it's the job because no matter what, if a if a voter says we want to do that, they're still going to elect somebody that then's going to step into the role of the executive branch and is most likely just because of basic human psychology, not going to rein in their own power. So it's going to have to be Congress. And I'm sorry, but I think this impeachment is a test. Is Congress going to rein in the executive? Are they going to continue to abdicate their responsibility and make that job even worse than it already is? You know, like you guys don't like that job. Listen, let me take y'all back in time. It was 2000 and 
for, I don't know, it's the only time I've ever seen Barack Obama in person. He was still a senator. And he was basically, it was a an intern gathering, and he was basically saying, I hate it here. I can't get anything done. And I love Barack Obama, and I'm really glad he was president. But I wonder what would have happened if he'd used all his political capital and intelligence to work as a United States senator to push back against that instead of saying, well, I want to go the place I can get something done. Congress can get things done. They've just stopped doing it. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's some really difficult co-equal branches of government balance of power questions because we've pretty much left it to the courts to do that. And we can continue to do that if everybody's liking where we're at, but I don't like where we're at. So I'd like to try something different. Let's talk for a second about two other stories in the news this week before we turn our attention back to 2020. We got some interesting and I think very constructive criticism on Tuesday's discussions. We're going to talk about that in a second. But first, why are Jeff Bezos and Mohammed bin Salman just hanging out via WhatsApp? Let me tell you why. Because there's another universe that the ridiculously wealthy inhabit that you and I have no, and most of our listeners have no concept of. I have peaked. I have barely peaked over the fence a couple times in my life because of opportunities I had to the world. No, I don't think, listen, no, that's not even true. I've never peaked at the world that Jeff Bezos and Mohammed bin Salman inhabit. First of all, there's not that many people who live in that world. So they probably want to communicate on WhatsApp so they don't get lonely, you know, being the top 0.9%. They need to chat about it. Um, 0.09%, 0.009, whatever. I just, (laughs) what blows my mind is even if you are both inhabiting this world and I'm I'm assuming you what, exchanged WhatsApp. I don't even know how WhatsApp works. Usernames when you were at Davos or whatever. So this happened in May, 2018. This was before Jamal Khashoggi was murdered, but it's not like they probably didn't know particularly because Jamal Khashoggi was on their staff and telling them, or a writer for the Post. Now, I don't, so I don't know if this is reflective of how separate Bezos is from the running of the Washington Post, which he always claims that he is. I don't know if he just couldn't connect the dots. I don't know. Like, but why were you accepting a message like that? I'm not trying to blame the victim. I don't know if I know, believe Jeff Bezos is ever, I do believe he was a victim in this, to have his phone hacked and that, and to be, you know, extorted like he was by the National Enquirer. It's bananas. It's a banana story. It's bananas, and it's also the most pedestrian act, right? This, like, hacking is the new, this is just a new way. This is just what it's going to be. This is what international conflict is going to look like. Mm -hmm. It's going to involve business a lot more than nation states, I think. It's going to involve hacking a lot more than guns. And I don't know where that leads us, but we need a better answer to it than us debating whether they should have been in contact via WhatsApp. I I just want to know, how does a government protect high-value citizens who are great targets? Should it? How do we feel about that? Do we feel good about that? (laughs) Um, How does a government step in to help businesses shore up their cybersecurity when that is part of national security? It's just, it raises a whole bunch of really difficult questions, I think. And I I would love to talk to someone who's kind of in the NSA world thinking through things like this. Well, and what else it tells me is that Mohammed bin Salman was escalating the entire, you know, regime's actions around protecting themselves and particular information. So they clearly were, I mean, that's a pretty intense action to say, you know what we're going to do? Me personally, me personally as the crown prince is going to send a message to Jeff Bezos and hack his phone. And then you have a couple months later in October, them going after Jamal Khashoggi. So, I mean, this this shutting down of criticism, there's something else here to me. Something else is going on that was either going to come out or they're trying to protect, or I guess it's just he really wants a clean image as he tries to open up the kingdom to outside investment. I don't know. But like this escalation of behavior from him personally throughout 2018 is really important. It makes it much, much harder for the administration to claim that he mm-hmm. personally kind of floats above the other actors in the Saudi government. Yeah, for sure. absolutely. Absolutely. We also are getting reports about the Chinese government and whether it has under 
underreported, misreported information about the spread of the coronavirus. Sarah and I were just delighted that this was all coming out as we were hitting the road for 2020 and starting to go through airports. All this every the second I stepped on an airplane until I got off out of the Milwaukee airport, I wore a mask. I'm not even playing. And this, too, reminds me of where global trends are going. I just read the World Health Organization's report about serious global health risks over the next 10 years that we need to be mindful of. And the spread of viruses was one of them. Just the whole world of microbials Mm -hmm. is very scary once you start to dive into it and the ways in which we have overused antibiotics. And so we are killing our body's ability to make good bacteria. I am not an expert on these issues. I just like to read about them and pretend that I am. But this, to me, seems like something that is going to be in the headlines a lot. And I don't know if the correct reaction to that is hypervigilance, if it is um, just being more in tune with our own bodies. They reported that this case that came into the United States was found quickly because the person who had it recognize this doesn't feel like I felt before and immediately sought medical treatment. Um, So this could present a whole world of challenges on its own, just the fact of it being reported. Well, here's something that I think is important to think about. Several times in recent histories, these viruses have come out of China. Not surprising, they have a massive population. But because it is authoritarian government, I think we like to say that doesn't affect us. We don't like how the Chinese government runs itself. Um, But we can't make everybody in the world be a democracy. Absolutely true. We can't. But how authoritarian regimes treat their citizens and respond in the face of these crises affects all of us, particularly when it affects global health. And what the Chinese government has done is shut down information under report, take too long in responding. I was listening to an NPR reporter that said they saw messages out of Wuhan that that people were saying, I can't get into the hospital. I feel sick and I can't get into the hospital. And then the messages were deleted. Okay, so what is it happens when these authoritarian governments are at ground zero of global health crises? And because there is no no democracy, there's no accountability, there's no free press, we don't have good information, which is how you combat a global health crisis that could most certainly affect everyone on the planet. And so I think it's easy to think China's over there, Russia's over there, Saudi Arabia's over there. It's none of our business. We want to be isolationists. But it is most certainly our business, particularly when it comes to global health crises like this. And just in the spirit of controlling what we can control, like wash your hands all the time. (laughs) Soap and water, just keep washing your hands to make your kids wash their hands. Our daughters think that we have gone crazy with hand washing, but we keep telling them this is, this really is our best defense. We can do all kinds of other things, but washing your hands is where it is. So, so go out and do that. Next up, we're going to tackle the 2020 race. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. 
The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsy. So one of the big stories about the 2020 primary this week involved Hillary Clinton. Beth, did you see? Did you see it all the places everywhere? I did. I did come across this little tidbit. Oh, okay. So the headline was Hillary saying about Bernie in this documentary, which I personally cannot wait to watch. It's coming out on Hulu. Nobody likes him. He never co-sponsors anything. He never compromises. Nobody likes him in the Senate. I would also like to expand on her comments, which people never do. They take the most incendiary line, just like the basket of deplorables, which if you read the entire quote, it's not that incendiary. And it's, she says, it's not only him, it's the culture around him. It's his leadership team. It's his prominent supporters. It's his online Bernie bros and their relentless attacks on lots of his competitors, particularly the women. And I really hope people are paying attention to that because it should be worrisome that he has permitted this culture. Not only permitted, he seems to really be very much supporting it. And I don't think we want to go down that road again where you campaign by insult and attack. And maybe you try to get some distance from it, but you either don't know what your campaign and supporters are doing or you're just giving them a wink. This also comes this week as Bernie was criticized for an editorial criticizing Joe Biden and his stance on Social Security. But of course, everybody freaked out. I'm trying to I'm going to try to be objective and stay calm. Beth, what was your reaction when you saw this? That I don't care about this at all. (laughs) Here's I do care. Here's why. Because. The first thing is, and she tweeted this immediately. She was like, I thought you wanted me to be unvarnished. And I do. I desperately want Hillary Clinton to be able to speak freely, which she basically has never been able to do in her entire life in public service. When she's honest, when she says it's a vast Republican conspiracy, which was uh, not wrong, um, she gets reamed for it. And I want her to speak freely. And also, my biggest issue is, one, I think, and this is where I want to hear what you think. I think if she'd been talking about Elizabeth Warren, this would have been covered very differently. I think it would have been, ooh, look, Hillary's acknowledging that Elizabeth Warren has a problem. Elizabeth Warren must really have a problem. And instead, when she said something that other people have said about Bernie, it became, oh my God, Hillary's not part of unity. I agree with that. I, before I say much about that, I do want to say something about the vast right-wing conspiracy, because part of what I have been ruminating on as I watch this impeachment trial mm-hmm. unfold is how the Clinton impeachment is like, my daughters love to paint, and they love to take construction paper and absolutely saturate it with paint to the point where the paint like is sitting in piles on the <laughs> construction paper, and it takes forever to dry. And that is what the Clinton impeachment trial is like for me now. It is like a, a painting that has not dried huh. because in some ways that seemed like the height of partisan bickering. And now we are upholding it as a model of a set of rules <laughs> to go forward in a trial. And in some ways, it seems 
absurd that he was impeached over that. And in other ways, as our understanding has developed around the facts there, and as the Me Too movement Mm -hmm. has gained steam, Mm -hmm. it seems like it is remarkable that he wasn't removed from office for such a a gross abuse of his power in a different context than this president, to be sure. They are apples and oranges in every way. I think it's nonsense to use the Clinton trial rules for this trial because the subject matter is so vastly different. But be that as it may, I don't want to be dismissive of of some of the criticism surrounding the Clintons, which I think we have we have seen it gain validity over time, at least as it relates to Bill Clinton's conduct. Yeah, and I think paradoxically, we've also seen that this was a very partisan Absolutely. pursuit of him. Absolutely. I don't want to dismiss that either. I agree with you that this would have been covered differently mm-hmm. if she had said this about Senator Warren. I think that people would have warmed to Hillary Clinton if she had said this about Senator yep. Warren. I think that's a sad fact. I also just want to let go of the obsession with her because it it to me when we have a story like this hit and make such a splash it takes the oxygen away from people who are in it now mm-hmm. and that's not her fault no at all she no. can say whatever she wants to say i i 100% agree with you every time you say that she doesn't owe anyone anything no. i think that's right but i also just wish the rest of us could say Cool, that's interesting. I might return to that in June or something. But right now, as people are about to vote, here's where I'm going to focus my attention. Well, and here's what really bothers me about that. One, yes, get your bleeper ready, Dylan. Hillary Clinton doesn't know anyone. She's dedicated her whole life. She's been beaten up. And listen, she got a lot of things from that. I'm not saying that she's a martyr, but I'm also saying she's not she, she's not a saint that owes something. She was not president, okay? She doesn't have to act like an ex-president. She lost twice. And so I want her to be able to speak freely for once in her dang life. And what really bothers me about this, this whole, like, how dare she party unity, is does anybody think an independent in Iowa thinks it's not a little weird that out of one side of our mouths, we're like, ugh, Republicans are the worst because they are so loyal to President Trump and they never criticize him and they never do a single thing. And then out of the other side of our mouth, we're saying, party unity, everybody, party unity, get in line, get in line, get in line. Which one is it, you guys? Do we want people to think for themselves and to give some space and time and room for differences within this big tent that is now the Democratic Party? And we think that the way the Republicans do it and don't think independently and just fall in line behind everything Trump does is wrong? Or do we really wish we had more of what they have on the Republican side? And there isn't any room for criticism. And we all have to pretend as if whoever we nominate is flawless and perfect in order to beat Donald Trump. Like, come on, we're going to have to pick one is all I'm saying. And so this treatment of her as if it's not a completely fair criticism, Bernie Sanders is an independent, okay? He's not a Democrat. He's running for the Democratic nomination, true. But you look at any, you know, he's registered as an independent. I don't know how any other way to say this. He's, you know, he caucuses with them. But like, she's what she said. Other people have said it's not untrue. And so I just also, on the most pragmatic level, you're probably going to get Bernie supporters because they hate her so much because she said this. She's going to pull people into your table because of that. I don't know. I just... I don't think she owes us anything, and I think this whole party unity at all costs while criticizing the Republicans for the same exact thing, that really bothers me. I do think as a former first lady and a former secretary of state, there is some obligation to participate constructively in the dialogue, as with any person who has a massive platform. And I always prefer endorsements to takedowns. I just don't think that this was intended to be a mm-hmm. takedown. I also I think, think that so if anybody in this country understands the the hardness of the support around Senator Sanders, it's Hillary Clinton. So I, I don't think this probably changed anyone's perspective no. one iota. It's, it's just not like a she pile said, on. I'm not going to endorse him. She said, I'm not ready to talk about that yet. But it's like everything with her. You know, she, you know, I guess she should have a long time ago only conveyed Everything she says, no matter how complex, in a 10-second soundbite, because that's always what they're going to take, which would be very difficult to do, or the path she also chose, which was just to shut up. And then she gets accused of being cold because she can't ever convey anything with any complexity because they're going to edit it down to the most incendiary part. I'm just, you know, I know that she is flawed. I know that she makes mistakes. I've had some real come to Jesus is about Hillary and ways I supported her that really blinded me to any criticism. And I probably sound like I'm still in that space right now, but it just, 
I get so defensive of the idea that she can't say anything right, even now, even after all that she's been through. It just, I want to hear from her in an unvarnished way. I really do, because I don't know if we've ever gotten that. And she's witnessed so much of history, and she's had such an important role, and I really want to hear from her. And we're not going to ever get that if the second every time she opens her mouth, Twitter rains fire down. That's probably a good segue to talking about how we just still don't know as a public how to deal with serious women and how to cover Mm -hmm. them and how to take their comments. And we got some criticism, deserved, I think, from Bren on Tuesday's episode when we were talking about the New York Times endorsement of Senators Warren and Senator Klobuchar and really spent the bulk of our time together talking about Senator Sanders and Mike Bloomberg. And so I wanted to return to that conversation today and first just kind of reflect on how our discussion was overcome by two strong men in the race. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also really kind of make our best cases for Warren and Klobuchar because I I love this exercise of even taking someone I really, really don't want to vote for and making my best intellectual argument on behalf of that person. I think there's a richness to that that's important. Well, I do think that's a fair criticism. I mean, I don't know if we were really trying to, you know, present the endorsement as the entirety of the conversation. We were trying to sort of catch up on the race. And for better or for worse, Bernie Surgeon and Biden's taken, or I'm sorry, and Bloomberg, too many Bs. That's my first point about this primaries. <laughs> Way too many Bs. Um, and there's too many, there's so much oxygen being taken up for by Bloomberg. But I was incredibly thrilled to see the endorsement. And I, you know, I think the other reason the conversation around the endorsement is complicated is because it's two people. You know, and I think like what I took away from it more than reasons to vote for either Senator Warren or Senator Klobuchar is that it really solidified the debate we're having inside the Democratic Party right now because it's holding so many people. I do. I was reading in The Wall Street Journal this morning this profile of a of a swing county in Iowa, people who voted for Obama and then voted for Trump. I know they exist. I just struggle. Um, And I was thinking, like, well, how how does a Senator Warren how does a Senator Klobuchar, and honestly, both of them were seen as having the government play too strong a role, which is interesting considering the the framing of the Times endorsement, which is they're both, they're seen as very different in their role of the government. Um, but I think both of them, you know, it feels so, it feels so special to say this. I both, I think both of them present such a good electability argument um, because of their, particularly Senator Klobuchar, of her elections and her margins of victory in Minnesota. Um, So I think that picking them as the endorsement, saying these are the two most electable representatives of these two sides, was the most interesting part of that to me. I mean, my love for Elizabeth Warren is very well documented at this point. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, 
has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I think it's interesting that my attention does often get pulled by Senator Sanders and Mike Bloomberg because that's where all the money is right mm. now. And a lot of the best data that that I see about this race is where is the money? I think the the money data is more telling than polling data at this point. We've talked a lot here about how we don't find polls to be very interesting anymore. And so I do I do spend a lot of time thinking about how is Bernie Sanders getting all of these small dollar donors consistently over a long period of time? And how has he built this war chest that is so far ahead of where everybody else is? And then Mike Bloomberg's decision to spend all of his own money, not all of his own money. He couldn't He's do that in his life. Money. He couldn't He's do that in his definitely life. definitely WhatsApping with Mohammed bin Salman and but, probably Jeff Bezos too. But this decision to not take contributions from other people and make the argument that that would be unethical, I think that's a fascinating choice. So I I do spend a lot of focus there. I want to do I want to hear Sarah your best argument for Senator Warren and then I'll do Senator Klobuchar cuz I think that that is more representative of where well, we are. Well, shouldn't we switch though if we're trying to do people we we don't really want to Let's vote not for. say. Let's just give the people She needs more time. Here's here's what the people want. The people want to hear you. The people want to hear you glow about Elizabeth Warren. So let's let's serve that up today. So here's a little spoiler alert. I actually have multiple options, but one particular Facebook message from, I believe, 2010. I got the link. I got it all saved in my notes where I said, mark my word, Senator Warren will be president one day. I said this to my introduction to business law class. I hope some of my students remember me saying this um, because in after 2008 and the, amongst um, the crisis, the financial crisis and in the aftermath, I didn't feel anyone articulating the societal problems, the impact of our economics and the rules around our economics with as much passion and charisma and articulating solutions the way that Elizabeth Warren has and continues to do. I think income inequality is at the center of so many of our problems, including climate change. And I want somebody who has dedicated her life to thinking about that, solving that, working across the aisle to try to address that. I love the story she tells about the Consumer Protection Bureau and how everybody was like, you might as well, you know, pluck a cloud out of the sky. And it's true. Like when I think about it, like, oh my God, she <laughs> she wrote a paper about an agency and then it became an agency. How many other Americans in the world can say that? In American history can say that. I dreamed up a solution and I made it happen in our democracy, which doesn't move particularly fast. Um, I just think she is so well suited to the moment. I think she is 
10 kinds of brilliant. And I think she is charismatic and passionate and convincing in front of Americans in her speeches, in her selfie line. And I've articulated this several times on the podcast. I think beyond watching how she's behaved before the campaign, watching how she runs her campaign is incredibly important. And her decision not to hire outside ad buyer consultants, which I think are a cancer on all campaigns, um, and the way that she has staffed Iowa, the selfie line itself. I think all of that, there's a really great article out there about why they picked that color, her color. That's like the Statue of Liberty color. Um, Just everything. I love it. I love the way she runs it. I love the way she speaks. I love the way she thinks. I love the way she governs or legislates, I guess is probably more accurate at this point. And I can't wait to vote for her for president. So we're not going to do criticisms today. We're going to leave you heading into your weekend on all positives. Love it. So I'm going to tell you about why I think Senator Klobuchar would be a good president. I think that after the past three years, what America most needs is a day when we don't think about our president at all. We just rest assured that things are working well, that someone competent is in the Oval Office. I miss it so much. And I think Senator Klobuchar has demonstrated her capacity as a legislator to pay attention to the details, to ask the hard questions, to be pretty relentless pursuing issues that other people might consider unimportant, but that are critically important, that can change the shape of things. I'm thinking especially of her work on sexual harassment allegations within the body of Congress. To be able to take on the body of Congress from within like that demonstrates an extraordinary amount of skill and patience and tenacity. In watching hearings where she has brought her prosecutorial skills to the forefront, you can see that she is both an aggressive and diligent questioner, but she can do that while maintaining rapport with even the most difficult of witnesses. I'm just spitballing here, Justice Kavanaugh. <laughs> and if she can do that, that to me means that she has the the ability to work with just about anybody in Washington that she needs to work with to get something done. And we've not had that in the presidency in a long time, and we need it. And we've not had that on the world stage for several years now, and we need it. And knowing how much the next president is going to have to do to shore up relationships with allies across the world to address questions like the complex question about Jeff Bezos and Saudi Arabia we were talking about earlier, I think Senator Klobuchar has that just dogged work ethic to dig in and do it while also making everybody think she's pretty smart and and on their side in the process. The other big issue for me with Senator Klobuchar is her impact on the down-ballot races. I worry significantly about what happens to Senate races and to congressional races. And I thank the number of our listeners who pointed this out in emails um, with someone at the top of the ticket for the Democrats who is very, very progressive. And Senator Klobuchar, I think, would really help the down-ballot vote. I think Senator Klobuchar, for people who are struggling to vote for a Democrat for the first time or who, who are independent, really sways the rest of the ballot into a good spot. I think people would want to give her, if she can really make her best case directly to the American people, if she can get out of the primary and do that, I think a lot of Americans are going to want to give her a Congress that she can work with and will trust that she's not going to take that Congress to the moon, that it's going to be a pretty business as usual, back to normal four years. And and a lot of us desire that. It doesn't speak to everybody. Maybe it doesn't fire up the progressive base. But if if defeating Donald Trump on its own doesn't fire up the progressive base, then I'm not sure what we're doing here. I think she is and and has the track record of, of victories that she's doing a good job highlighting the best person to get the most people elected and do the best job governing our country for the next four years. So I have this thing where I say, I think the newest requirement for president should be you changed a diaper in your life. I'm very confident that Senator Warren and Senator Klobuchar have changed diapers. I'm only slightly suspicious that Bloomberg has. I'm thinking he probably has. And I'm going to guess Biden probably has in his life. I think Bernie, maybe. But now I'm adding another one to this. I think you should have changed a diaper. And I don't want you WhatsApping with Mohammed bin Salman. I don't think either of those have. Wouldn't be surprised if Bloomberg has. That's my new requirement. I need you to change a diaper. Know what's happening with Mohammed bin Salman. The 
importance of the change of diaper requirement is on full display when you see Senator Klobuchar in a debate, too, because she frequently raises issues like elder care Mm -hmm. that aren't making into the conversation otherwise. I do think elder care is one of the most pressing health care challenges we have. And, And she's really skillful at saying, we can do this Medicare for all debate till the cows come home, but let's think about mental health and substance abuse and paying for nursing homes for lifespans that are increasing with health problems that are increasing to accompany them. And so her personal family history, I think, is a really compelling part of her biography and qualification for the office, especially because she has demonstrated over time the ability to turn that into legislation that gets passed often with bipartisan support. Well, and of course, we'll give a what's up to Senator Warren's Aunt B, who she talks about a lot, who cared for her children so that she could, I think, go back to work or go back to school. I don't remember which one it was, but she talks about Aunt B a lot. So listen, elections are the best of times and the worst of times because absolutely everything that we say will hit someone the wrong way. Because we didn't talk about your candidate today doesn't mean we won't return to your candidate. We didn't talk about criticisms that we have of these two women, which we do, of both of them. We'll do that soon. This is not the first or last conversation. Mm -hmm. And so hang with us because I think there is something really valuable in taking your time, fleshing this out. I would not be opposed to next time making our best cases for two other candidates who are still bubbling up in the race. Sarah is less certain about this idea. I I think we should switch. We can switch. That's fine. Um, I'll work on that. So everybody have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us. Thank you again to Wisconsin Lutheran College. And we will see you here on Tuesday. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.